Well, I just got to tell you, I'm so excited about this year. Last year on Easter morning, I'll tell you what I was doing. I was sitting in my office staring at a one-eyed monster uh, of, of a camera, uh, trying desperately, praying desperately um, that we could all from our living rooms be able to connect with one another and to celebrate um, Easter. And I know there are still some with us online, and I'm praying the same thing for you. This is, this is your church. This is, this is Easter morning, and so I'm trusting the Lord to do in your living room what he's doing here this morning. But I will tell you, it is much more satisfying to get to talk about God's Word in the presence of God's people rather than all alone like some hostage video in my, um, in my office. <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to begin this morning by reading a passage I love dearly, and then I want to walk through and talk about it. It is the resurrection passage from John chapter 20, and I'll I want to read it, and then we're going to make a few comments about it, and then I want us, want us to see something at the end. And if you're here this morning and don't, don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you right now, I'm praying that God's Word would have, have His way with you this morning. This is how John writes it. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb, and as she wept, stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to said to him in Aramaic, 
Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went away and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And he said these things to her. And on the evening of the first day of the first week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, overwhelm us again this morning with the, with the truth of the story of the resurrection. All of history before the resurrection was pointing to it, and all of history since the resurrection has been looking back at it, awaiting the day that the trumpet sounds and your son Jesus returns and calls all of those who have died in Christ and says, rise. And that his resurrection becomes ours. And so, Father, help us this morning stir in us this longing, awaken in us again this great desire to see the return of your Son. Father, you can do that, and we trust you for it this morning. And in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love this passage. It's a little context. In the, in the chapter just before this, um, J- Jesus died, and a man named Joseph asked for his body, and, and then he, he took Jesus off the cross, and he, and he wrapped him in the burial cloth and laid him in the tomb, and actually laid, laid him in his own tomb. And, and the tomb looked like a cave. It, was, it would have been carved out of a rock, and Jesus is laid in there, and this huge stone is, is rolled over the entrance because uh, the, 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 the Roman leaders were worried about some insurrection, that they would try to steal Jesus' body and, and there would be um, um, a revolution uh, regarding that. But, so they, they sealed the tomb, they put the guards outside to, to watch it, and the, of all the disciples uh, and all the people that followed him, you, you see in, in John 19, you got two women who attend his funeral of sorts. And they watched the, the tomb be sealed. No one goes in. No one goes out. Well, John opens up chapter 20, and he says that now the first day of the week. He's giving us a time marker. Actually, what he's telling us is the first day of the week is the third day The third day that Jesus, you know, he said, on the third day, and the third day is now the first day. In other words, a new day has dawned. A new age has come. Jesus, he suffered the darkness of death, and he was raised on this morning, and the light was shining through the darkness, just as in Genesis chapter 1. 
The earth is, is without form and it's void and the darkness was over the face of the deep and God said, let there be light and there was light. It was the moment that history began and this is where John starts. It was still dark here in chapter 20, verse 1. The other gospel writers, they say, well, it was dawn or it was very early. John, though, loves symbols. It was dark. Maybe the darkest it was before dawn. And Mary Magdalene's there. And she shows up and, and she's there early. She's there literally in the dark. Literally and spiritually, if you will. And it corresponds to the darkness of Mary's understanding at the time. See, see we're talking about the most significant event of all History. When we talk about the resurrection, it's the most significant event in all of history. It is the power of God breaking through the darkness and shining the light. The way he even begins this whole gospel of John. That in the beginning, in the light, the light who is the life of, of men, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness hasn't overcome it. And on this resurrection morning, this life of Jesus defeats death, and it's the beginning. It's a new beginning. And the resurrection morning, it's this first taste, it's this first fruit of all that is new and going to come. So who is this Mary Magdalene that shows up at the tomb? Well, John tells us, so Mary came, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. From the other gospel accounts, she's there. She's, she's in all the gospel. She's the most central character in all four of the gospel accounts on Easter morning. But here's the thing. She went to see what she went to see and what she ended up seeing, what she saw. They're two different things. She went to see a place. And she ends up encountering a, a person. When she's introduced, all the time she's introduced, she's called Mary from Magdala. Now, no self-respecting Jewish person would have claimed to be from Magdala. It was a, you know, in the middle of the Jewish nation, it was kind of a Gentile city, a fish market, a rough town. Historians tell us a lot of promiscuity, immorality, those kinds of things. Most agree she was an unmarried woman, this Mary from Magdala. Likely she was a prostitute, but it had come after years of a hard life. In fact, when we're first introduced to her in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, we're told that she was the one who had seven demons, which means she was completely possessed by demons. That's how Jesus found her. When you think about her, it doesn't take much imagination to understand that before Jesus found her, what she looked like, the kind of broken, damaged life she would have had, that was how Jesus found her. And when he finds her, he heals her. She, her life's like this microcosm of all, everything that Jesus came to do. He came to the sick and the poor to the ones with heavy burdens. He came to heal them, to save them. This woman was completely lost in the midst of a broken world, overcome with darkness. 
she's like Genesis 1. And Jesus shows up and heals her, and the light dawns. Well, why is she there? Well, she's there because Jesus had been telling his disciples, listen, we're going to go to Jerusalem. When we get there, um, they're going to arrest me, and they're going um, to they're, they're put me on trial. They're going to find me guilty even though I'm innocent. Then they're going to beat me and strip me, and then I'm going to be nailed to a cross, and I'm going to die and lay in a tomb for three days, and then I'm going to raise on the third, be, be raised from the dead on the third day. And the disciples, they heard this. Jesus, in fact, told them, three times or more, and, and every time they were like, oh, oh, no, that doesn't sound right, and then they would just move on. But now it's the third day. It's the day after the Sabbath, the day that life re resumes, if you will. And so she shows up, and listen, I don't think she's there because she fully understands what's going on. She's going there to mourn. The other, I mean, the other writers tell us, you know, she was bringing spice. That's meant for corpses. She went to see the tomb, the grave, to pay her respects, maybe to cry a little more. She went to see a place. She's going to end up being greeted by a person. She didn't understand everything fully. She didn't understand fully the power that he had. She knew something. She was certain of some of his power. It had rescued her. He'd given her a meaning in her life, a place to belong. He loved her. But she didn't fully understand what Jesus was actually doing and what the true power of salvation is. Listen, I, I don't know. There's some of you this morning that might have showed up or you're online this morning and you, you, know, you kind of came to a place. And this is what we do on Easter. We go to a place. We go to a place called the church. I'm telling you, it is, in, it is in a place like this you came to see a place. What I hope is that you encounter a person. I hope you come headlong, run headlong into the resurrected Jesus and all of the grace that he desires for you to know from him. See, I, you know, a lot of people, Jesus is good, you know, he's powerful, he's important, he hadn't been totally canceled, you know, on social media yet. But for a lot of people, as good as Jesus might be, or as important, or as powerful as he might be, you'd sit here and you'd go, yeah, but you don't know about my past. My past is actually more powerful than Jesus. I, I'll never get past my past. My sin is more powerful. See, because you don't know, you don't know what I've done. My sickness or my suffering or my broken marriage or my strange child who maybe, if I'm honest, has every reason to be estranged. Maybe there's heartache and sorrow or guilt and shame, and you think all of that's more powerful. See, I think that's why Mary Magdalene's in this story. She's kind of the exclamation point on this thing called Christianity. The lowest of the low, from a place nobody wanted to be from, 
living a life no one even dared talk about and possessed by seven demons. And it's nothing compared to the power of Jesus. Well, the funny part of the story is she goes back, she tells Peter, and she tells John. John's the one, he's the one whom Jesus loves. He's writing the story, he doesn't put his name in it. He talks about himself in third person. But they're running, and you know it's John, because John wants you to know as the reader, he's faster than Peter. <laughs> Peter's more bold. He runs right past him. You know, John's like, I don't know, should I go in? Should I not go in? Here comes Peter, just going right in. And what they find is the tomb's empty. It's empty. And the, and the clothes are laid out. And I mean, there's, from those guys' perspective, that is a hard thing to understand. It is hard to figure out, especially a guy like Peter. And I'll tell you why he's running so hard and runs right past John when he gets to the tomb. Because Peter knew what it was to deny Jesus. Peter knew what it was to have everything And to throw it away. In fact, the next chapter, chapter 21 of John, is one of the most moving chapters in the world where Jesus goes and he finds Peter. The Peter who had denied him. And calls him all over again. Well, the rest of the story kind of picks up in verse 11. They leave, but it says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and she looked in and she sees those angels. Can you picture her? I mean, she's there because her heart is broken. She's weeping. She saw the empty tomb. She'd run back. They came running. They find it. She's left there in the garden. Peter and John have gone home. She's confused. I, you can only imagine. I mean, you can just feel the sorrow here. Probably despair. She's alone in the garden and begins to weep. Have you ever been there? Of course you have. Alone, despairing, confused. The bottom sort of dropped out of life. You're just there. You're paralyzed. At least enough for you to know and me to know and all of us to know there's something wrong. Something wrong with all of this. What's wrong is death. I was telling the sunrise service this morning. In this last year, I've done more funerals than I have in the five years before this. Death's everywhere, isn't it? Hardly one of us hasn't been, our life hasn't been touched by death as it taunts us this year. Remember my youngest daughter, Catherine, we saw this show, African Cats, a few years ago. She was five. She's 15 now, so it was about 10 years ago. And it was this documentary, and it was centered on these two cat families and 
how they teach their cubs the ways of the wild, and Samuel L. Jackson's narrating it, you know, uh, along with Patrick Stewart, which is, for the younger folks in here, Fury from Marvel and uh, Professor X from the X-Men. For the middle-aged nerds, we're talking about Jean-Luc Picard. All right. But anyways, I'll never forget, we're sitting there, and she starts to cry. I mean, shedding tears when a mother cheetah loses two of her five cubs to hyenas. I'm thinking, why are we watching this? And all of a sudden, I mean, she's, I mean, these are just cats. I mean, I, I don't know what they're feeling, you know, I mean, I... Who knows how they put all this together? But I mean, she's there and she's in and the emotional pain of this mother and she's just crying out, you know, in the night for the loss of the two cubs. They're in, and then the narrator, you know, Samuel Jackson, and they're not coming back. <laughs> Honey, we need to start a counseling fund. Then it shows the other end of life where the teenagers realize their mother's aging and the mother. So what they do is when they get old and they're ready, they, they just leave. They just leave the family and they go and they go in this place and die. My daughter's five and she was sitting there and she could tell you something's wrong with the world. Because Ecclesiastes chapter 311 says, God has said eternity in our hearts Eternity is set in her heart. It's set in your heart. It's set in my heart. And we know, listen, death is the enemy. Something's wrong. In that moment, Catherine felt just how fragile life is. I feel it. I feel it big time. So here's the deal. Mary looks into the tomb. Grief does weird things to you. One of the things it does is that it can cloud everything around you. She completely missed what was right in front of her, right? First, she misses the obvious sign of the resurrection. The stones rolled away, the empty tomb, the grave closed, the body's gone. She thinks it's been stolen. She's mourning the death of her Savior, the death of her hope, despairing life. So we can give her that one. The second clue, though, were the angels, which seems like a big one to me. I mean, I don't know. I don't think, you know, it's not like angels are this common deal. I mean, they look like angels. I mean, they were wearing white, the whole deal. The angel says, why are you weeping? She says, I don't know where he is. And then Jesus appears. I, she sees Jesus. I mean, I say she sees Jesus. She kind of sees him. She thinks he's the gardener. And she starts to give him what for. I mean, she believes she's in the middle of this disaster. There's angels in front of her and the Lord's standing right there. Jesus standing right there. And yet she feels all alone. She's about to be made one of the most famous people in all of the history of the world. And yet at that moment, she feels abandoned, which tells me this. 
Our lives can be so clouded. And Jesus standing right here. And we can miss him. Listen, if, he had, if Jesus had waited for Mary to figure out who he was, they'd still be standing in that garden right now. He has to say to her, Mary, I want you to hear this morning, Jesus is calling your name. He's so near. He comes to her so gently, doesn't he? Love it when he says, woman, why are you crying? Then he says, what are you looking for? He didn't say, who are you looking for? He he was trying to say, Mary, look, I know you love me. But your understanding of me is way too small. You're not really looking for the real me. You're looking for a Jesus you think exists. He doesn't exist. But I'm right here. I am more than you could have ever imagined. Listen, she's not the only one. Jesus comes back. He begins to appear to the disciples. They're, I mean, they're confused. Every time, you know, they worship or they doubt. Matthew 28. One says in Luke, they disbelieved for joy. That they were marveling. And Jesus says, you got anything to eat? They disbelieved for joy. Why do you do that? Listen, I'll tell you what it means. It means it was simply too good to be true in their minds. They disbelieved because they found themselves in a very real place of saying, this is too good to be true. If this is true, then everything he said was true. If this is true, then everything he did was true. If this is true, then everything he promised will be fulfilled perfectly. It's more than I can take. It's more than I can make sense of. If it's too good to be true, listen, we all know about things that are too good to be true, right? Right? There are things that we come to understand in life that are too good to be true. There are other things, however, that turn out to be better than we could have possibly imagined. I'll give you two examples. One of too good to be true. You ever seen those pause egg things where you watch the commercial and they promise you as parents that you can have this wonderful moment in your kitchen with your child decorating eggs and that they'll look beautiful? Some of you parents have made a deal with the devil, I think, because yours really do look good. For the rest of us, that commercial, that's too good to be true. It's a mess. It is not a fun day in the kitchen with your children. There are some things, though, that are better than, than you could imagine. remember one time this family was, we were young, we were in seminary, they wanted to, said, we want to send you on a trip, go stay in our place down by the beach. 
here's some money. I mean, they were so great. They took care of us. And Les and I kept thinking, oh, that's probably too good to be true. Who knows what kind of place it is. Well, we showed up, and this is one of the nicest places I've ever stayed the night. And we had five nights there. And we ate at the greatest restaurants, and it was the greatest weather, and it was the greatest beach I've ever been to. It wasn't too good. It was better than I could have possibly imagined. The first appearance of Jesus after his resurrection is to Mary Magdalene. I tell you, I think this verse, and we'll be done, but it's, it's loaded with meaning. It's verse 15. Jesus says, woman... Jesus, God in the flesh, glorified in the garden. And here's Mary. And if the church is the gathering, it is. It's the men and women of the church who confess the resurrection of Jesus. Then Mary is the very first of all of us. She's the first one. Church is called Jesus' bride. Here he calls her woman. I told you this was a new age, a new beginning, a new creation. The kingdom of God has been ushered in. In Genesis chapter 2, there's the first Adam. He wakes from a death-like sleep. He had his side ripped open by God, and, and a woman came from it, and he opens his eyes, and you know what he says when God wakes him up? Woman. After Jesus rises from the dead, after having his side pierced, he's in the garden, he appears to Mary. And the first of all of us, this bride called the church, he says, woman, everything is being made new. Jesus is redeeming everything. He's redeeming it from the very beginning. And you know what? He begins with the most broken and weak and heavy-hearted, maybe of all of us, and this is the gospel. The gospel says that God's salvation does not come to you because of anything that you've done. It doesn't come to you because of some kind of pedigree that you have. It doesn't come to you because of your race or your class or your gender pecking order. It doesn't come to you from anything that you have ever done or will ever do. The gospel is not that God gave you a perfect record. The gospel is that he gives you, uh, it's not that you give God a perfect record, it's that God gives you a perfect record. The gospel is not your past, which is determining factor of your relationship. It is Christ's past and present and future. And he sees her, calls her Mary. Mary, it's not too good to be true. It's actually better than you could possibly imagine. Go tell my brothers. Which is kind of overwhelming when you think about Jesus sending to tell her brothers, these sorry, no good, deserting disciples who are his brothers. I told this story a couple of years ago. When my oldest daughter was little, her elementary school gave her a writing prompt. 
She was probably in the second grade. And the writing prompt said this, imagine that you could follow a rainbow to the end, write about what you would find there. So, she draws a picture of a rainbow and underneath, and then she writes in her cute little second grade handwriting, I'd find a little sister because I really, really want one. And I want her to look just like me. About a year later, a little sister's born. I don't think Maggie's a prophet, but you never know. <laughs> Not only did she get a little sister, I'm telling you, she does look just like her. There's a sense in which Jesus says to the Father, tell you what I really want. I want a bunch of brothers and sisters. And I'm willing to take on humanity. I'm willing to leave, step out of eternity, step into history, put on flesh, become their sin, die their death, and lay dead for three days. And then conquer death so that they, they can live with us forever. Great writer, Annie Dillard. She said in one place, she said it this way, my whole life's, I've been my whole life like a bell. And I never knew it till I was picked up, lifted up, and rung. I thought I was a paperweight. I thought I was a doorstop. I had no idea if somebody picked me up and rung me that I was a bell. I had no idea what I was. You may be here this morning and you have no idea who you are. You think you're one thing, and this morning I'm wanting to tell you Jesus wants to pick you up. He wants to call you by name. He wants to ring you. He wants to show you who you are because of who he is. This morning, trusting Jesus, it's saying, I believe who you are, Jesus. I'm trusting you with my life. That everything that I know about me that keeps me from being able to, to be in the presence of a holy God, a holy, not just holy God, not just holy, 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 holy God. I believe that your son took upon himself, died in my place so that I could become all that he is. If you've never done that this morning, this morning he's calling your name. Will you answer? Will you believe? If you would, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do. And that is that you'd just 
you would get our attention with all the things that cloud our sight and muffle our hearing and keep us from being able to see just how near you are. Father, would you crash right through all those things by your Spirit? Would you get a hold of our our attention? Would you draw us to our senses? Would you awaken us? Father, would we see your Son clearly? And would, would that we believe. Father, you can do that, and so we trust you with that the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit.